The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. Registration for the Numinous School opens on June 1st. It only happens once a year and spaces are limited. Sign up for the waitlist on my website, carmenspaniola.com. On today's show, I'm interviewing my next door neighbors, Beth and John Threlfall. I'm very lucky to live next door to our neighborhood witches. Our backyards overlook each other, and that's where I do a lot of my own ritual practice, just out there in the open in my garden. So it's nice to feel that my spiritual practice is welcome and understood, and perhaps even a little protected in their care and understanding. But something I really love about living next door to the Threlfalls is observing how their children have been growing up over the years we've lived here. And something about how special they are had me curious to know more about the magical mixture of Beth and John as people, as parents, and as witches. I connected with Beth and John around my kitchen table here on Lekwungen Territory in our neighborhood borough known as Fernwood. So John, what identities do you lead with? Uh, I usually call myself uh, a writer, uh, a teacher, a witch, and a parent. That's an interesting package. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you look at my Facebook page, that's usually what's on there. Sometimes I throw a time traveler in as well. <laughs> oh, so. nice. Excellent. <laughs> I, will, I will have a follow-up question about that then. How about you, Beth? What identities do you lead with? I go with mother, artist, witch. Though I feel as our children are getting older that the artist will swap with the mother Interesting. So you're kind of in a transitional phase with that right now? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, Beth, why don't you tell me what kind of witchcraft you practice? And I'm very curious about how you even came to know that witchcraft was a thing Mm. that you could do and a witch was an occupation or identity you could have. For me, I've always felt that I was a witch. I've always been interested in witches. Um, As a young person, I had a Cinderella book collection and what always fascinated me about the Cinderella story was the witch character in it, though she was always portrayed as the fairy godmother. Mm -hmm. When I'd open up the book, that was what I'd look at first was how the fairy godmother was looked. Um. And sometimes she was, you know, with the bonnet and other times she was with the hat. Mm. And... um, And I always felt that I had magical powers. So it was only until probably about five years ago, I was able to scientifically figure out that, oh, that's what it was. Because as a child, I thought I could slow down time. Hmm. And then as I got older, I thought I had lost that power and wondered always, well, what did I do to lose this magic power? And then I had one of my dizzy spells of lightheadedness and I was looking around realizing that everything was slowing down and realized that when I was younger I was always having dizzy spells and I wasn't actually slowing down time. 
Do you, but, what do you attribute the dizzy spells to? Was it a mild seizure? What, no, no, it, just being lightheaded. Scientifically. Just because okay. I have very low blood pressure. <gasps> okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as a child, did you suspect you had other magical powers as well? Well, I always thought, again, that I had been blessed as a young child because I remember um, being in my bed at my auntie's house. And all of a sudden, the room filling with light and someone coming over my bed and saying, I bless you. Wow. And then later on, I realized, well, it was probably me lying in bed and one of my aunts with the hallway light being on and only seeing them in shadow and them coming and just saying, oh, bless you, young child, you know. Oh, how old were you at this time? I would say I was probably about five. Oh, so you were just little, but part of me is like, what if you did have a visitation? Oh, sure. sure. (laughs) And does it matter? Right. You know, all my life I thought I've been blessed, and Mm -hmm. all my life I thought I had magical powers. Mm -hmm. Does it matter that I've, you know, rationally thought it out of these are probably what happened? No, because it's allowed my life to create magically and become the person who I am, which is a witch. Mm. So what was the point as an adult then when you started telling people, yeah, I'm a witch? Teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so you self-initiated at that time mm-hmm. or did you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Found, um, found a couple of books and um, uh, different oracle tools mm-hmm. yeah so I would say grade grade 10 did you grow up in a city or a small town like was this done I grew up in Surrey so I grew up okay. as a, in a very uh, urban mm-hmm. yeah um, and 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 I've just always felt like a spiritual person and I just naturally gravitated somehow towards that how would you describe the type of witchcraft I mean you know, there's been people, there have been people on my show who said, oh, I identify as a pandramanic heathen. Mm. I've had people on my show say, I identify as a Wiccan. Mm-hmm. I, you know, do you have a particular, um, uh, I don't even know what I would call that, style of mm. witchcraft <laughs> that you practice? I, I would say that I am a witch. Mm. I am a witch. I'm an everyday use magic, move in a magical way, my life, the way I raise my family, everything is designated around how I speak, how I talk, how I interact with people. Kind so of how, okay, I'm very fascinated by this. How would you describe moving through the world as a witch and in a magical way in speech and action and you know, that sort of thing, versus a non-magical way. I find that when I speak with people, I try and be thoughtful about what I say Mm. every time Mm. I speak to people. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when I come away from uh, an interaction with somebody and it has not been a positive one, then I reflect. Mm. And I also feel that is... Being responsible as a witch. Mm, that's like part of the witch's way of being. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. So, John, same question for you then. How did you come to witchcraft and how would you describe your practice? Well, <clears throat> let's, let's start with the uh, how I came to witchcraft. So, similarly, I grew up in a suburb of Vancouver. I grew up in Burnaby. And uh, I was born in 64, so I grew up in the TV era when Bewitched was sort of your main, you know, pretty much your only uh, pop cultural attribute of witchcraft when at that point in time. What, 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 did we have? what did we have at that time? We had, you know, Cinderella books, we had that kind of thing, we had Bewitched on TV, we had Sabrina the Teenage Witch, we had Wendy the Witch, uh, Casper's buddy, <clears throat> you know, we had these kind of pop culture witches. So I was always really aware of the pop culture witches that are out in my world. And uh, I was also similarly a kid who uh, leaned towards the spooky side of things. You know, anything that was kind of supernatural was sort of my thing. Uh, I felt that I had strong connections with, uh, you know, the the spirit world, with ghosts, uh, with uh, ESP, we used to call it back in the 70s, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I was drawn towards that kind of thing. I was the kid that uh, would know who was on the phone before it rang. Uh, and then things would weird things would happen when I'd walk into a room, the light bulbs would flicker or things like that. Uh, or I would sense that a room or a house might have a spirit in it, you know, that kind of thing that was downplayed enormously by my family. And then years later we found out, oh yeah, you know what, that was actually true. Somebody really did die in this house. How did you know that? You know, and it was just that kind of thing. Um, so I, I, was, I, was, I was that kind of kid. And then uh, when I was, uh, you know, I was probably 12 or 13, usual age where you kind of, come into the realization that you might be a little bit different from other people. Uh, I was at our local public library looking around and the only sort of small occult books they had was a a Time Life series on magic and the supernatural. (laughs) And it was like one of those, you know, 10 volume series on, you know, this one it's the Mayans and this one it's about, you know, the witch burnings in Europe. So I was looking through that and reading bits and pieces of that and and I clearly remember thinking, you know, it's too bad that witches don't exist because I'd be a really great witch. (laughs) And I, I have that memory of that thought in my head. And How then, old were you at that time? I, I was probably at 12 or 13. 12 there, yeah. yeah and yeah, you yeah. thought, I could be a pretty good witch. Sure. I love you know? that kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. sense of self. Like, and for me, there was no differentiation between the idea of a male and a female witch. Like uh-huh. that that wasn't in my, my spectrum at all, probably because of Bewitched, which was, you know, from now what I know was surprisingly an accurate thing. It was a family tradition of witches in that show that were both male and female, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I probably just absorbed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a teenager, once I was in high school, very Burnaby is a very suburban place. Uh, there was not a lot of occult activity going on, certainly not in 1979, 1980. Uh, so there's me and one other person, one other person in high school <laughs> who was slightly interested in stuff. And uh, she had a deck of tarot cards. And, you know, that was sort of my entree into the world of actual practice. And it's like, oh, tarot, what's all that about? Mm-hmm. And then uh, after high school, um, by that point, uh, it's the early 80s, and the New Age movement is starting at that point. So I continued my interest. And let me just say that at that point, it's very different than now because mm-hmm. it was pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pre-mainstream um, you know, bookstores carrying occult books on their shelves. Like at that time, who? No, not a chance. Uh, Vancouver, Burnaby, Surrey, that area had maybe two or three bookstores that would carry those kind of books. And as a teenager, I didn't have access to those. Um, so it was, wasn't like I could find people or a path or information out at all. So, but what I could find was new agey stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I became more interested in that and I became interested in the idea of tarot and I started reading tarot and, <clears throat> you know, reading more books about, you know, ESP and this kind of thing. And then I fell into a group 
of, uh, of channelers. They knew that I was interested in this kind of stuff and they wanted to try doing some Ouija board stuff. So we got a Ouija yeah. board and we were doing a little Ouija board action and then we started doing some channeling and things. And I was sort of the go-to guy to talk to about that kind of stuff because mm. I'd done all the reading and everything. Mm. And then the actual link with actual practicing witchcraft came, uh, not coincidentally, uh, through I started working in theater. And I was working on a production of The Wizard of Oz. Oh. And uh, some people backstage were laughing with one of the women who was playing uh, The Wicked Witch of the West, throwing water at each other and saying, ah, you're going to melt. And uh, somebody backstage said, you know what, that's not really uh, very politically correct because I'm actually a practicing witch. And I find that a little bit offensive. And, uh, and I heard that and I was like... Uh-huh. You're an actual practicing witch. Cool. <laughs> so I went over and I talked to her, and that was my actual path into practicing as a witch. You know, because I at that point I had no idea. I had no idea. I didn't have any books. You know, at this point the pagan publishing boom had not really started. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first mainstream books on uh, witchcraft as we know it in the '80s didn't come out till about 1982. You know, Starhawk and Mar- Margot Adler. Uh, Robin Skelton here in Victoria, they started publishing around 1982, 1983. So it's not like I had access to those books. But by meeting this woman, um, she gave me access not only to a community, small community of actual practicing witches, uh, but also introduced me to my first pagan bookstore. Uh, way out in Surrey, strangely enough. Um, so I went out there and I found out, you know, books that had, you know, spells and practicing and, you know, uh, newspapers that could connect you with other pagans. And it was a real wide awake awakening for me. So I got, anyways, through her, uh, I got initiated into uh, the Gardnerian traditions. So that was my start, was in a Gardnerian tradition. And uh, What does that mean? So Gardnerian is a traditional British form of witchcraft. Uh, it was started by Gerald Gardner in the uh, 1930s, 1940s. I'm not going to give you a brief, brief history of witchcraft, <laughs> but Gerald Gardner was uh, instrumental in uh, modern witchcraft developing in the form it did. Mm-hmm. Um, he published uh, uh, The Meaning of Witchcraft Today and then, uh, what's his other book? Uh, the Truth About Witchcraft Truth Today. About witchcraft. Witchcraft. Yeah. Um, he published those when the last laws against witchcraft were repealed in England in 1952, I want to mm-hmm. say. Uh, I'm not sure if that's 100% correct. It's around an intense time. look about it. <clears throat> totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyways, he had a long history of uh, folklore, tradition, and magical practice, and he wrote these books. And uh, the people that I met, they were practicing this Gardnerian tradition, as okay. it was called. Uh, and it's a very it's um, it's a very Anglican form of witchcraft. Mm. You stand in a proper place and you put your arms in a proper fashion. You say the same words and you move in the same direction. And quite a few uh, rules and. Um, uh, you know, how to do it, you know, mm-hmm. you learn by rote and that kind of thing. And uh, I practiced that form for a couple of years until I ended up moving over here to Victoria, at which point uh, I developed much more of a West Coast kitchen sink eclectic tradition, yeah. shall we say, <laughs> and then um, worked with a group here in town and then ended up uh, working with uh, the 13th House Mystery School, which both Beth and I are both priest and priestess of here today. Mm-hmm. So, it sounds like the Gardnerian tradition is one of those, um, like Wicca, the, you know, that yeah. came out of kind of a golden dawn, yeah, yeah. that yeah, sort of generation. So. Yep. And so it's, it does have a much more um, structured yep. approach than, say, like a neo-pagan or like, you know, that, yeah. that sort of thing. So Neo-pagan eclectic was the phrase we used to use all the time. Uh-huh. Nobody really uses it anymore. Right. But, yeah. yeah, people lead with different identities now, John. Yeah, There's like yeah. a whole thing now. Oh yeah, we have to, yeah, we have to yeah, figure yeah. this out yeah. now. <laughs> and I mean Wiccan, sure. I, I, I mean Wiccan traditions. Uh, you know, I learned to practice Wiccan traditions, but I just use the phrase witch. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. So how did you two witches come into contact? How'd you meet up? <laughs> was there like, because there wasn't witch meetup at no. that time. So no. how did you find another practicing witch who knew they were a witch since they were a kid? I mean, it's a very special kind of connection, right? It's kismet. How did this happen? It was fantastic. It was fantastic. <laughs> well, it was, I was so excited. Yeah. Well, it was, it was so by, okay, so I... Let me just preface it by saying I left Vancouver and I moved to Victoria. One of the reasons I moved to Victoria is because I knew Victoria was a witch town. Victoria had a reputation as a witch town uh, that goes back to the early, late 50s, early 60s. It goes back earlier than that, but my awareness of it was uh, soon came to be around that. I mentioned Robin Skelton before. He was a professor at the University of Victoria. He co-founded the creative writing department, and he was a practicing witch. So he was in the media a lot. Mm. And Victoria at that time also had uh, Canada's National Pagan Magazine was being produced out of Victoria. And when I went to the bookstore with the woman who initiated me, uh, that was one of the magazines I picked up. And I was like, oh, look, this is produced out of Victoria. And I came very quickly to realize that Victoria had an out pagan community, just like some cities have an out queer community. And uh, at the time, I decided, okay, I want to move somewhere else. So I decided to move to a community where I could be out as a witch in the community and meet other people. Right. Mm. So that was absolutely one of my reasons to move to Victoria. Mm. I said before I was working in theater. Uh, I also moved to Victoria to get away from working in theater because mm. I developed a really great drinking problem. <laughs> and I decided to go back to university. So I thought I would go to the University of Victoria. Uh, which had this tradition of, you know, Ron Skelton teaching there. They also had a very active pagan community on campus. And the magazine was coming out of Victoria. So I moved over here. And uh, this, the year I moved over here, I was looking for a summer job. And, of course, as fate would have it, the summer job I found was in theater. And, <laughs> but it wasn't in theater in Victoria. It was in theater in a little town called uh, Barkerville, which is up in the center of British Columbia. Yeah. So 1860s Gold Rush Town National Heritage Site. Uh, so nobody could actually live in Barkerville. You lived in Wells, which is the little town right outside of Barkerville. So I got the job being the stage manager for the Theatre Royal in Barkerville. And uh, the people, they hired me and everything, and it's like, okay, great, going to move up to Wells and uh, take this job. And I guess in the chit-chat part where I was getting the job, and they were asking me about myself and who I am and what I do and everything, and I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm also a witch. And they thought, as most people who aren't witches, think that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so before I even arrived in Wells, uh, word had gotten out that uh, the new stage manager is a witch and a witch was coming to town. And, and, and I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was up my second year up in Barkerville oh. and I worked at the uh, Wake Up Jake, which is the restaurant hmm. in the park. And I had heard that there was a witch coming and I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's exciting. Um, and one part of the, the restaurant is a boarding house table. So it's a really long table that all sort of the staff of the park sit at so that they're not all scattered about the restaurant. And um, quite often in the mornings, that was my table to look after and came to the boarding house table and there John was sitting across from the boarding house table and he had hands on the table and he had a pent ring on. Mm. And I was like, oh. Explain for people who don't know what that is, what it is. So it's the star. Mm. Yeah, the star symbol. And he had that as an emblem on his ring. And I was just like, oh, great. It's the secret sign. Yeah, it is. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. It is. So, um, yeah, then we just grew a friendship. Yeah. So that was 93. Yeah. 
and we just yeah so we grew a friendship from there mm-hmm. um i was just coming out of a marriage my marriage my first marriage was just uh, dissolving at that point um and then uh, beth and i just became friends and for the next five years uh we stayed friends and you were traveling you had uh, got a nanny yeah, job about, and, yeah yeah you went down to australia for a year yeah. and then you were a nanny in florida and switzerland mm-hmm. so we stayed in touch over the years mm-hmm. and our group of friends uh were all sort of wellsy barkerville people so we, st- we had a close connection but we didn't actually start seeing each other until uh yeah five years later 1998 so mm-hmm. and so how like what was that kind of romance like like you were just like hey I think you're pretty cool and I really prefer spending time with you we should get married and have kids or like how did that go yeah well it was (laughs) so on on one of our first dates if you'll call them that um we realized we had sort of a past life connection as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. so I said before Barkerville the town we met was an 1860s gold rush town yeah um, and then we were sitting outside. I'm not sure what movie we were going to, but we were off to Cineseta to see a movie. Yeah. And so we we're just having a good chat about family history and you know that getting to know you kind of stuff. And John said something about his family pioneering in a town in Manitoba called Melita. And I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> you're getting your your histories crossed because my family pioneered in Melita, Manitoba. And it turned out that both of our families had pioneered in the same little town in Manitoba in the 1860s, and that we both have um, Melita history books, completely different books, but the history and lineage of Melita, and both of our families are mentioned in it. So, and Melita was not a big town. So the odds of it were very slim. So so yeah. So there's it became you know our whole relationship has been like that. Mm. These uh, sparkly you know quote unquote coincidences. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. And you know you know it really yeah, goes. It's pretty nice. There's that idea that you know once a witch is once a witch always a witch. You'll always mm-hmm. find the path again. Yeah. So I think that's very true both in life and in our relationship as well. You know? mm-hmm. so, yeah. so fast forward, you guys decide okay. This is this is just more than coincidence. This is, you know, homecoming or reconnection. Let's get married. Let's have kids. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because you have two really awesome kids. Thank and you. Through your children, I have wondered what is going on with John and Beth Brofall <laughs> because <laughs> their kids are so excellent. Uh, and so, what's their secret? And of course, I can imagine there's some beautiful, magical things happening. But I just kind of want to start, Beth. Did you both want children? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I think for myself, becoming a mother was just awesome. It's made me a better person. Mm. Completely. So do you ever have doubts about it then? Are oh, ever... no, no. Like Not about being a mother, but yeah. how you're doing. I mean, you have great kids, so maybe you don't have that. But do you ever no, have a question don't. like, oh, am I doing the right thing? One of the, the best gifts that I got when um, our first baby came into our lives was the realization of how powerful forgiveness was. So as soon as I, you know, being a mother and 
working out the parenting thing and re realizing the different mistakes I was making as it going along, I quickly realized that my child was forgiving me like instantly mm. for everything that I thought was a mistake. And I let go right at that point of saying, my child can forgive me that quickly. Why can't I forgive myself that quickly? Mm. And that was, that was an amazing gift mm. of parenting that we're all trying to be awesome parents. And of course we're going to do, we're people, we're all people, we're going to do crazy things. But it's important that we just forgive each other and keep moving forward. Hmm. Did you have any magical ritual uh, work or any practices that you incorporated maybe through pregnancy or to prepare for birthing or when your kids came in? Tell me about De that. Definitely when I was pregnant hmm. with our, our first child, I, when I would go for walks, I would realize and do a letting go process of knowing that I was going to change. As soon as this person was going to come into my life, I knew that I was not going to be alone again for a very long time. Mm. That I was going to have this person in my life and that at that point when when I still had the baby in my tummy, I was enjoying being by myself hmm. and absolutely, you know, absorbing that, knowing that it was going to end mm -hmm. as soon as this person was in my life and being okay with that. Hmm. Yeah. Was there anything special about birth or naming or anything like that, that that you really wanted to bring some ritual to? Music. Music was a big part of it. Both our kids are named uh, after songs as mm. well their middle names are blackbird and dark star so mm. the first song either of them heard were those songs oh. um crosby stills and ash blackbird and grateful dead's dark star mm. and um certainly for our second child uh we played during the birth process <clears throat> we played a, an album mickey hart's music to be born by and mm. it which is an album a repetitive trance-based album which is entirely based off the ultrasound recording of the heartbeat of Mickey Hart's child and yeah. Hart's the drummer for the dead so that was the sound that was playing during Jackson's birth mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, both were home booth births yeah and uh, both were attended to by other witches as well were there mm -hmm. with Beth mm -hmm. and, uh, and our and, midwife, and our midwife was uh, a woman that I had met um, up in Prince Rupert when I lived up there for about six years and we had done lots of um, circling together not necessarily in a pagan sense more in a new age mm -hmm. sort of uh, sharing circles mm -hmm. and then reconnected with her again once we were pregnant and in Victoria. Mm. So that was beautiful. And then um, before each of our um, child was born, we did um, send out messages for people in our family and our friends to participate in bringing our child in the world. So Grace and we asked people to send ribbons mm. with thoughts and messages mm. and each um, each of our children have a birth flag mm. so that after the child was born um, we would raise the flag so the neighborhood would know mm. it's a, a, a Swiss tradition mm -hmm. and um, with Jackson we asked for a word and a seed 
So everybody sent us different kinds of seeds. Mm -hmm. And then with the words, um, John ended up um, constructing a poem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so lovely. So how would you say being a witch influences or informs your parenting style? Before I answer that, can I go back to the other one? Oh, of course. Because there's a couple magical things about having children mm. that we didn't really talk about. Mm. So probably the one of the biggest ones is that we weren't supposed to be able to have children. Oh. Um, <clears throat> Beth had had... Uh, That's right. A, a very, <laughs> we like, oh, yeah. very severe undiagnosed case of endometriosis that oh, had crushed really? most of her ovaries. Oh. She had less than a quarter of one ovary left. And wow. after that whole thing came down, the doctor said, well, it's not very likely that you're going to have pregnant, you're going to have children. Mm. So then we had two perfectly healthy home births, wow. let alone not being able to have children. Mm. So that was, we always thought that was pretty magical mm. in itself. And then uh, the other thing, uh, you know, the question about did you want to have children? Um, I had lost a child with a previous partner mm. uh, in 98. And um, in order to get over that, I had gone on a very ritual and magical based journey, uh, solo journey from across Canada, literally from Victoria, BC to St. John's, Newfoundland and back on my motorcycle, did this whole motorcycle ride to mm. work this process out. And then when we had our second child, um, Jackson, he ended up being born on the exact same day that I had lost my first child, wow. uh, who was also a son whose name was Zach. Wow. Uh, so Zach was gone and Jack came in and none of that was conscious. Like I didn't yeah. know at the time that it was the same day. It wasn't actually until a couple of years later that a friend of ours said, do you realize that he was born on the same day that you lost Zach? And wow. like, I had no idea. I had no idea. So that to me was uh, a very magical indication that we were supposed to have children that, you know, there was the spirit that wanted to come into the world and wanted to come and be part of our lives. Mm. So, so yes, absolutely. On Thank that, you for on sharing that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. really sorry your son died. Yeah. But yeah. I'm so happy you have two great kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm exactly. so glad your parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so wonderful to see. <laughs> well, what so, was your what was your other question? About Sorry, how, how does being a witch influence? And so, how old are your kids now? Uh, just turning thirteen and fifteen. Thirteen and fifteen. Yeah. We're entering uncertain times, my friends. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. between the three of us, we have thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. I think we could probably all agree the times are changing. Sort of hour to hour and so how do you parent as witches how do you parent as witches <laughs> um yeah i mean i guess you parent like witches like other people would parent but you just do it more intentionally uh maybe uh you know like a lot of from my perspective, you know, we're very active in our witch community. You know, I said earlier, we're both priest and priestess. Uh, we both taught, uh, you know, how-to witch classes for a number of years, Beth more so these days than me. Um, so we really might, we really live uh, an everyday witch lifestyle. People come to our house, we got witchy stuff all over the house. Um, similar to what Beth was saying earlier, we sort of have a daily a daily practice, not a, not a, not a formal practice where we get up in the morning we do ritual and that kind of thing but you just live every day like you would uh, any other faith like you your worldview is influenced by how you see 
the world as a witch, uh, philosophically and practically, and you make all your decisions based on that. So I think parenting is similar. Um, one of the, I think one of the great things about being a witch is you have a wider view than I think a lot of people do. You have a, a view that goes beyond today and you can look into the future and if you can look far enough, you can look into multiple lives as well. So I think when it comes to that kind of thing, you raise your kids with the right kind of tools to be able to go forward. Our kids have been around ritual since they were born. Um, you know, I always kind of say that our kids have been to more rituals than most adult witches have because <laughs> they go with us and, you know, they know dozens of other witches in the city and they've grown up around it. Um, we have family-based rituals that we do as well at certain times of the year. Uh, and certainly as the kids have grown, they've taken on different roles and different parts in those as well. Mm. Um, Jackson's now keen on helping light the Beltane fire and everything like that. Right. So. so do you kind of follow the wheel of the year with them? And is that part of your observance? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And I think just as a parent, I think it's important just to observe ritual, you know, mm-hmm. like when they were born, you know, it was definitely a ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, when Grayson turned 13, that was a ritual. Now Jackson's going to be turning 13. You know, we will do a ritual for him. You know, I think we've always incorporated ritual and the turning of the wheel and the changes that happen in their lives by using ritual. Mm -hmm. And um, how we spend time as a family of nature too. Um, I think that helps in our parenting because we use nature as a way of teaching less not so much lessons but just how life moves mm. yeah being connected to the greater world and mm-hmm. i mean witchcraft is an earth-based spirituality so you've got to have that connection with earth right mm-hmm. you've got to have that connection with the elements and mm-hmm. certainly you they're out in it mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> you know and certainly in the mm-hmm. summer we're out in it a lot and, mm-hmm. and things like that what's uh, the toughest part of parenting for you boy toughest part of parenting I, one of the things I find difficult is balancing the roles you asked earlier, like what do we lead with? So a lot of my parent was one of my roles, but I find it difficult to balance all those roles as a parent. Um, certainly when I'm working full time and writing and teaching, um, having time in there to fulfill that parent function and maintain that sense of my own identity as well. I find that a challenge sometimes because it's very easy to fall into that role and certainly when they're younger of uh, just being a parent you know mm-hmm. you're only a parent you're defined by your children and people are like oh how are your kids and <laughs> they, you get to know people through the community through your children and baby groups and parenting groups and you know that kind of thing scouts cubs you know, mm-hmm. the whole thing uh, so it was always for me it's always been a real challenge uh, balancing that sense of myself my own identity with my role as a as a father and you know, a parent of the kids. Um, yeah. I, would, I would say for me right now, because, um, you know, of course, we're always constantly changing and developing, and especially for them, it's much more apparent uh, how much they are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of stop me not taking the lead on things, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are now in the lead position and um, switching from me leading in the talking and saying and allowing them to be the ones that are talking and saying and I'm doing all the listening 
Mm-hmm. What about so you know you both grew up at a time where there weren't a lot of witches around, mm-hmm. so you're used to being kind of on the margins or kind of a fringy kid, you know that sort of thing. You found each other, and you have community here. How do you feel about your your kids that have grown up in this way? That still, even though we're in Victoria, that's you know very witch friendly. It's very witch. It's witch city, right? Sure, sure, sure. But how do you feel about the world as it is when your children are leading with identities that are pretty marginalized? Really, like outside of Victoria, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah, all yeah. have witch- kids that are kind of queer mm-hmm. and kind of witchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> you know, and we're aware of that when we travel. Sure, especially when we travel in the states. You know, mm-hmm. going through small town America. And stuff. Yeah, we've often thought it's like, okay, we're going down like Middle America. Should we take off? Our witch sticker, yeah, but we didn't. No, like, no, we're not going to. You can't remove your pen tattoos. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Uh Oh, I feel that we uh, have been really lucky, and I'm certainly very grateful and fortunate that we live where we do live. Mm. You know, because there is a lot of acceptance, and uh, um, the elementary school that both of our kids went to was very open Mm. and wonderful and uh, uh, as far as we know there wasn't any sort of backlash for our kids Mm -hmm. of being kids of which parents Mm -hmm. I don't know if uh, Jackson and Grayson necessarily think of themselves as witches as well Mm. I don't know and, uh, well, that would be up to them. To that would be up to them. You know, we've raised them around our spirituality. The choice is theirs as they move forward. Grayson just did a tarot class with Beth recently. So that was, you know, her sort of first step into uh, some sort of practice mm-hmm. of their own. Um, I think it's, it's a good thing to raise kids in as well because... Uh, you know, if you want to use that term marginalized, it reminds them, I would prefer alternative, because it reminds them that, uh, you know, they are part of an alternative faith, and they're part of an alternative lifestyle, and it's a different way of living from the mainstream, and it gives them a sense of empathy and connection with, uh, you know, other marginalized communities in town, whether it's people of color, whether it's the indigenous community, whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an important way of uh, developing an identity as well. We very much live, we're aware that we do not live sort of a mainstream lifestyle. Um, I, <laughs> I, I kind of jokingly say that we vibrate at a slightly different frequency than other people because we don't drink, we don't drink coffee, you know, we do, you know, we don't watch TV. So we, we sort of live just slightly out of phase with everybody else. And I think that's a good way to be, you know, uh, I think more freaky people are better. So is there any particular aspect of witchcraft that you really lean on when you personally are looking for support? Like, do you have some favorite rituals? What are your go-tos, Beth, when you're like, you know, what's my favorite thing to do ritual-wise? Ritual-wise? I guess I like pulling cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tarot, oracle, and all of it? Everything. Depending on what um, what's going on, if I need a word, like if mm-hmm. I'm finding that my brain is on a track that is not serving anybody, mm-hmm. then um, I, I usually I just need a word to focus on. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I could use as a mantra that I can um, uh, anchor onto that and turn things around. So I would say that would be my go-to thing. I like um, affirmations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the, the idea of 
you know, changing the words that you say and the thoughts that you think mm. can change everything mm-hmm. and put you back on your path. Mm-hmm. That is my main go-to. Is nice. what am I thinking at this moment? How am I using my words? And going from there. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. about you, John? Um, I would say uh, community and history are the two things I love to. Mm-hmm. Uh, community because, uh, like I said before, I get really busy. And quite often I'm just doing stuff on my own at work, teaching at the university, uh, doing things around the house with the family and that kind of thing. And I don't have the day-to-day, week-to-week connection with uh, the active witch community that I used to and that Beth certainly still does. Um, you know, you've got a couple of working groups that you work with on a fairly regular basis. So when things are tough for me, it's nice to reconnect with community and have that support, literally that support. Uh, so that's great. I always look to that. And I look to history as well because uh, that's my academic background. I was trained as a historian. Uh, pop culture is one of my study areas that I look to. And, you know, I mentioned before the idea of bewitched and things like this. But I do look to the history of witchcraft. I'm always thinking about that and certainly locally, but also, you know, on the wider global scale. And uh, I take great uh, strength in uh, being part of this ancient tradition that has gone through such ups and downs and has, you know, came very close to being eradicated completely and has come back. And I think there's a very strong reason why it's come back at the time in history that it has. Uh, and I take great strength from that. When I see a full moon outside, I always think, you know, it gives me a sense of strength because I always think, you know, I'm looking up at the full moon now. How many other witches around the world are also looking up at the same moon and having that connection? And I always feel that sense of connection with the other witches around the world just by looking at the moon. It's like this little bounce back satellite signal. You know, mm. we're all connecting with the same thing. You know, That's so, so beautiful. Yeah. I feel much better than your kitchen window overlooks our garden, which is where I do a lot of my moon stuff. So I'm happy then. <laughs> I always kind of feel like, eh, I'm like really on display here. But uh, that's very nice to think then that you're you're out there sending good thoughts if you yeah. see me in the garden. Because <laughs> you know when you think about it, like you know, sure, here we are in the 21st century. We've got the internet, we've got podcasts, we've got all sorts of ways of connecting with people. It's very far from where I came in my own life of not knowing how to connect with people, and yet the ancient traditions was the way to connect with people. It's like the moon is full. Let's mm-hmm. connect. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I really take strength in that. So, John, how do you personally then cope with some of the stronger, more difficult emotions that, you know, people feel? Certainly there's, uh, you've mentioned times in your life when I imagine you felt profound grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe when you look around at the world or when you think about uh, history, just fury and rage. So how do you <laughs> personally cope with those kinds of emotions like grief and rage? First time I ever read The the Crucible, Arthur Miller's play, uh, I remember getting so angry reading this play and I just felt so betrayed and angry that our people were treated this way. I threw the book across the room and it smashed into the wall. The, um, grief, uh, I've always had a good relationship with grief. Uh, I've been in a position uh, in my family that uh, most of my family have, uh, my extended family have died as I've been growing up. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, um, cancer has run through my family very strongly. Um, so there always seemed like there was somebody dying in my family. Mm-hmm. So as a child, I, I seemed to have grown up with a good sense of, uh, understanding of the role of death in life and that it was part of a natural cycle and that people do leave your life, but they don't necessarily leave your memory as long mm-hmm. as you remember them. Uh, they are still a part of you, and I, I hold very strongly to that. 
and certainly as a witch, uh, we have a good understanding of death and the grieving process and the idea of using ritual as a way of uh, coming to terms with that. And you talk about the wheel of a year, you know, Samhain being the time of death and moving into that phase of life. Uh, but it is part of the cycle of life, right? So, and I've had grief in my life, not only loss of my child, but loss of friends as well. And uh, I just try not to let go of who they were. I, I love the new Disney movie Coco because that was the underlying motto of the whole thing that was the idea of the story as long as you remember these people who have died they haven't really gone mm. you know it's only when that last memory of them is gone then they truly die mm. uh, so it's always a personal mission of mine to remember people as much as possible uh, rage I have more trouble with I have a hair temper a uh, hair trigger temper and um, it always surprises people because I have this uh, perception that I'm really calm, grounded, you know, easygoing guy, which is true until whatever it is that triggers it happens and then all of a sudden, you know, a hammer is flying through the window or I'm ripping a door off the cupboard kind of a thing and it's, uh, it is a very volcanic temper at times and it is a very, I'm a Leo and it does seem to be sort of part of a trait of mine and it's also something I was exposed to growing up. My dad had a temper as well and um, I've never really, never really come to terms with that. So it's an ongoing process for me of how to deal with that, that sense of anger. And uh, I've, I've <laughs> it's, it's my one challenge that I still struggle with all the time. I can really relate to that. Yeah. Absolutely, that's my... Achilles heel for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. like I call it the white hot rage. Yeah. The white hot heat comes and <laughs> yeah. Carmen has just gone like zero to a hundred, and it's like oh, I'm I'm also you know taking it up as lifelong work, but uh, learning how to kind of slow down and stay in the body and like recognize escalation. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that's I, next level, John. I'm gonna yeah. tell you when you start to go like whoa, I'm escalating. I'm like. I don't even know myself now. I can track when that's happening, but most of my life it was just, um, I like what you said about, it was volcanic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's that. hard to know even when it's coming until it's there. Yeah. Um, I mentioned before uh, that working in theater, I developed a really great drinking problem, mm-hmm. uh, but I quit drinking and it's been, you know, probably close to 30 years now since I've been drinking at all, maybe 25-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was part of it too. Mm-hmm. because um, certainly that alcohol intake really adds fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I specifically choose not to do because mm-hmm. I know you know the impact it can have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. mm-hmm. Thank you. How about you, Beth? How do you cope with grief and rage? I can't really say with the grief end of things. Um, you know, I guess I've had personal grief when I've seen, you know, parts of my personality have been hurt or you know that kind of grieving in the way of grieving for anybody I haven't really had the experience of anyone close to me ever dying um I would say with the the rage and the grief that I just ritualize everything Mm -hmm. whether it's writing something down and putting it to fire or sitting in a bath or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ritual would be everything of how I would deal with emotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you are coming up with ritual, mm-hmm. uh, do you, you're also an artist, like I'm just curious, mm-hmm. do you have any kind of pathways that really inspire you or, or, you know, some people, they want to take a book and go, this is how you do mm. a ritual for right. anger. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's been a lot of years, but you're also a creative person. So yes. when you're developing ritual, like what's your kind of framework or rule of thumb? How do, how do you develop that? 
I would say that I have, I mean, I always have a certain kind of structure that I go by when I'm doing a ritual. You know, there's always a grounding that I like to do. There's always the calling of the um, the ancestors in and calling of the, the directions. And then whatever leads from there is just what I go with. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely come through a tradition through 13th House where it's uh, self-realization through um, acts of creativity yeah Yeah. so that's can you tell me more self-realization through acts of creativity would you say ritual is an act of creativity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we don't have a structured way Uh, of how like as in a gardenerian way okay um we we're more freeform right so it's like coming coming from the heart and well i mean i'll give you a concrete example so in the gardenerian tradition if you're calling in the directions you always use the same language right we hail Mm -hmm. to the guardian to the watchtowers of the east we summon Mm -hmm. stir and call you up right Mm -hmm. whereas in 13th house it's much more uh you know yeah avant-garde okay we were you know summoning the direction of air and the spirits of the east and look into the East and tell us what you see, yeah, and then yeah. everybody's throwing in words. Yeah, I see flying kites, or somebody's <laughs> whistling, or making <laughs> windy yeah. sounds. So it's yeah. much more. It is much more artistic. Uh, yeah. One of the great things about Thirteenth House, as as a collective, as a tradition, is that uh, pretty much everybody involved in it has some sort of creative expression. Mm-hmm. Artists, Dancing. writers, dancers, musicians, uh, everything. Mm-hmm. So collectively as a group, it's really a beautiful group and our rituals yeah. tend to be quite lovely as a result. I, I can attest to that. When you invited me to the Beltane uh, celebration in the backyard last year, the year before, and you called in the directions, I was like, this is funky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, ritual and creative practice is sort of how we live our lives. You talk about like, how do you live your life as a witch every day? I'd say ritual and creative practice is a big part of it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we were early attendees at Burning Man. We went a few times from 99 to 2001 and we realized there the importance and the impact that uh, creativity and uh, ritual can have on people. So our takeaway from that was to come home and put that into action in our lives and in our communities in a very literal daily manner. Mm-hmm. And we've done that over the years since. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've impacted not people walk around our house and our yard and they're like, wow, your place is so creative. Look at all this stuff. It's all this art and everything. Yes. But then also in the greater community as well, how do we use our art to impact the community and to grow a sense of community and uh, put ourselves out there as uh, community witches, you know, and that's a big thing for what we are. We're the neighborhood witches. People know that about us, and uh, they'll come and talk to us, and or get calls or emails and stuff. And doing spiral dances, doing spiral dances, yeah. you know, being being the driveway for Samhain, you know, mm-hmm. people coming here, oracle nets. And mm-hmm. There's lots of things we do, mm-hmm. um, and it's just uh, it's a beautiful way of working. You know? It is, and it's a beautiful thing to witness. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want to thank you for your work in the community, mm-hmm. and thank you so much for sharing more personally about your um, practice and uh, I love ritual I can talk about it all day long yeah ritual is great yeah it's the best right Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh, thank you very much for being my guest on the podcast really appreciate that thanks Carmen it was fun self-realization through acts of creativity what an excellent theme to live by I love it And how nice to have a chance to record a conversation and get to know our neighbors a little bit better. 
Throughout this episode, John and Beth mentioned the 13th House Mystery School. That's one of Victoria's oldest and largest covens, and they also run a number of public workshops and courses about magic and witchcraft and shamanic practice and the world of fairies. I mean, you name it, they cover it. And you don't have to be a local to follow them on Facebook, where they post lots and lots of informative articles about magical topics. Find them by searching Facebook for 13th House Mystery School, and that's 13, the number, T-H. Who do I want to shout out to this week? I want to keep it local. Thank you, Fernwoodians, for listening to my podcast. And shout out to Numinous Podcast superfan, Catherine, down at Fernwood Energy our friendly neighborhood resource group. Hey, Victoria, do you know about Fernwood Energy's Good Food Box? It's a nonprofit fruit and vegetable box program. So anyone across Greater Victoria can access these affordable, really fresh, really beautiful, healthy produce boxes. Good food boxes are available for pickup at 13 locations from soup to sandwich, and they even deliver on Wednesdays, and it's like super cheap. The Good Food Box purchases bulk from local farmers and suppliers, kind of like a a bulk buying club, and it's packed and delivered by a really, truly wonderful team of volunteers down at the Fernwood Community Center. They prioritize locally grown, unsprayed produce with a focus on seasonal fruits and vegetables. We love them. Plus, Fernwood Energy fundraises to furnish free good food boxes to over 150 families in Greater Victoria for an entire year. Fresh fruits and vegetables for an entire year for 150 families. This is great local grassroots food security work, my friends. It's simple and it's cheap too. Boxes range in price from 10 to 20 bucks. 20 bucks for the large organic box. It's an outstanding deal, I'm telling you. And you aren't locked in over the long term. You can just order one if you just want to try it out. Check it out at thegoodfoodbox.ca. Thegoodfoodbox.ca. Okay, last thing. It's getting on time to decide. Are you going to come on Quest with me this year? Me and Ruben, you totally should. We'll spend 12 days together in the mountains. We'll be doing ceremony, ritual. Yeah, there's a little bit of fasting, but there's a lot of re-villaging, a lot of connection, and a lot of magic out there. If you hear the call and you want to join us on the mountain, you can learn all about Quest and place your deposit on my website, carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care. <laughs>